Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everybody, I'm I'm going to laugh today. I'm just going to be straight up about that cuz we've got awesome. We've got these new podcasters on the network. They're freaking awesome. So excited about them and talking about their show so that you guys out there that listen to my show have another show to go to that talks about things that I don't get into. So, da 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 da. We have Miss Complexities with the Complexities podcast and her partner in all things, Patrick, joining us today. And they are also podcasters on the network. Yeehaw. Hello. Thank you so much for having us. It's me up here. We're so excited. This is fun. Yeah. I'm so glad that you guys, you know, joined us and we're all on the same mission and everything. It just, oh, every time someone says, I want to be involved, I'm like, it's validation. (laughs) Yeah, and it's nice to know like other people that are doing podcasts. I, full disclosure, I don't really listen to very much. I don't really listen to podcasts. It's never been something I got into. Mm-hmm. But I think it's because most podcasts that I've seen, like the really popular or well advertised ones, they're just about nothing. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And yep. so to find out that there's like a whole network specifically for mental health is freaking awesome. I know that. See, I it's so funny that you say that because this is. This happens every so often, but I was talking, I don't even remember who it was. I talked to so many people, it's a blur, but somebody that's not in mental health was talking about how people just don't have real and authentic conversations. They just don't do that. They don't, don't, don't. And the whole time they're saying that, I was like, yes, they do. I know 40 of them. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I don't want to like shame anybody or to try to brag or whatever but I finally at whenever I could feel like I got an in I said well you know tune into our network because there's a every single person on there talks about deep resonating authentic painful joyous <laughs> real, yeah real life stuff like yeah. so p- take your pick <laughs> Well, I think the problem is that a lot of people don't, they don't want to hear it. Right. Unless they're looking for it, they don't want to hear it. I had a conversation a couple of days ago with somebody way younger than me. He's like 23. And he was just saying like, 
oh, I feel like there's nobody my age that wants to have real conversations. And we were talking about philosophy, like, <laughs> and, and it was just like, God, I know, like, I can't even find people my age that want to talk about philosophy or reality. <laughs> you know, it's just like, mm-hmm. it's not, it's just not what's on people's radar, especially young people. And I, being a history nerd, I kind of brought up how, like, you know, before TV, everybody would just sit in their drawing rooms and they would talk philosophy, mostly men, but women would do it too. And I think that our culture, most cultures are really lacking that because there's so much uh, connection and depth and self-exploration that comes from having those conversations. Absolutely. And they're just not happening anymore. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a big proponent of like, I couldn't find the tribe I wanted to hang out with. Um, Totally understand that. You know, and so and so I created one. (laughs) Well, that's what you have to do. I like it. Get it done. Exactly. Don't wait for it to come. Exactly. I mean, it's like, okay, um, and it's wonderful. But anyway, I want to talk about what was the genesis of your podcast? Tell our listeners what it's about, all those good things. Ooh. I'm gonna start. (laughs) Okay. Because I claim credit for this, in even though beginning. in the beginning. No. <laughs> so a while back, like over a year ago, I was listening to somebody's podcast. I think it was Chris Hardwick's podcast. And he had some people on and they were talking about how they had their own show. And it was nice because as a couple, they were forced to sit together once a week and talk to each other about real things that were happening in their life. And so I approached my lovely wife about doing a podcast because I was like, man, we're having a hard time sometimes talking to each other or just making time for each other. Why don't we do a podcast? And she's like, what would it be about? And I'm like, I don't even know. Fast forward, like, I don't know, six or seven months later. And she's like, I think we should do a podcast. And this is where she takes over the story. Yeah. So that's his genesis. (laughs) My genesis is um, for the last like six years, I've been radically chasing uh, healing from uh, disordered eating from complex PTSD and general insanity and unhappiness. And I've kind of, kind of finally gotten to a point where I guess for about a year. So we started the podcast last, what was it? June, July, Somewhere around there, yeah. So for about six months before that, I felt like I was at a point where I had just like learned so much and I had, uh, rewritten my mind and changed my mind so much that I wanted to share that with people but I don't really like people I'm very introverted (laughs) and and I'm very closed off you know because of trauma so I have the the innate introvert but then I also have the lack of trust from trauma and so like going and talking to people was definitely not happening Mm -hmm. and before I started the podcast I really only shared my story with a couple of therapists, very surface stuff with maybe one or two friends, and then medium level sharing with Pat. Like, so actually all the stuff featured on my pod, our podcast, like the shit that I talk about, mm-hmm. you know, I never really spoken most of it. So I knew that it was going to get heavy and I knew that I needed to push myself to be that vulnerable, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to do that on camera. <laughs> oh, so I uh, was like, well, I yeah. can talk for days. So maybe... She Maybe that would can. be the easiest thing for me to do. So I was like, yeah. And I thought about it. I thought about it. And I think most people would like research podcasts and listen to some, but I didn't do that. I was just like, no, I'm confident that well, 
Pat, who is, you know, audio engineer, techie guy, all I have to do is tell my story and speak and talk about the things that I've learned, which I can do. And I think together we make a really good pair because he speaks my language in a way that most people don't. Like he can take my thoughts and translate them into normal people. And that's his role. <laughs> like I tell the story, I talk about all the therapy, and then he kind of puts it in a way that average people can understand. Cause I, not that I'm above or below average. I just see the world very differently because I've, I'm the survivor of 28 years of psychological and emotional abuse. Mm. So, I mean, that just shapes your mind. I just see yes, an act. I'm different, you know? So he does a really great job of like asking those normal people questions and like, um, just translating my mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we also started it and we wanted it to be a couple's thing because we've had a lot of people by a lot, I mean like the five people we know. Um, well, I mean, to be fair, that's like all we know. Well, it's crazy because a lot of the people we know have similar. Right. I like accumulate friends with trauma history. It's a. It's like, oh, a, absolutely. Like, I don't have any friends. that don't. <laughs> yeah. So they all kind of ask, like, how do you guys make it work? We've been together for what well, we've been married for almost nine years. Yeah. It'll be nine this so, year. and then we were together for like a little less than a year before that. So, um, you know, I wanted it to be about that too. So I bring in my story, my recovery, all of the things I've learned, but then also kind of tips and tricks, advice for how people can relate to people who have complex PTSD and what is complex PTSD and, and mm. how to approach your friends, family, loved ones that have it. Because when I was really looking for support in bloggers, bloggers, online resources, there wasn't anyone, there were very few people talking about complex PTSD, but there was definitely no one who was in a, a relationship with children. Like there was, I saw absolutely no one. If you're out there, please, I want to know you because mm -hmm. I haven't been able to find anyone else like me. And, um, and that was hard because I felt like. That has complex PTSD and has children? And is in a marriage. Yeah. Like a lot of the people that I see who are recovering from complex PTSD or I read about or who are sharing their stories, you know, they're, they're either single, divorced. Um, a lot of them don't want to have children or. Oh my God. I did all those things. Okay. So we can talk. I, I was in full on CPTSD in a marriage and raising a child. So, and I think, I think there are a lot of people like that, but maybe they're just not sharing or talking about it because it is a lot to deal yeah. with. Well, they may not even know either. Right. That True. Was another one of the main reasons why I wanted to share my story because, because nobody else was you know? Yeah. I, yep. Yeah. I mean, I don't get into the, I mean, I talk about Michael, um, often and some people think it's weird that we're, that he's my best friend or, well, why aren't you guys, you know, back together? And I'm like, well, what version of together are you using? <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, we don't live together. Um, which is for our own sanity, but I'm on the phone with him nine to 15 times a day and together is to each person's uh, discretion, <laughs> whatever that, whatever that together means. A trauma background, which everybody does to some degree, you know, mm -hmm. you don't get your life untraumatized, but I think relationships are very 
they have to be very customized when you are yes when you're coming from a trauma background. Yeah, we're actually discovering a little bit more about how we're going to customize going forward right yeah, now. Definitely. Um, because I do. I'm just I'm here and I'm somewhat normal, and I can't help but trigger her. Oh yeah, all the fucking time. You know, so it's like, what do you do? Like, <laughs> you know, I'm doing my best over here to be everything she needs, but at the same time, sometimes. I fucking trigger her and there's nothing you can do about Dude, it. He triggers me when he talks. He triggers me when he doesn't talk. Like, <laughs> yeah. This is fucking breathing over here. And I'm just like, ah! I'm like, what did I do this time? I don't know. But it's a constant battle. It is. Yeah. I mean, at least you have the, I'd say the difference with the two of you and me, you know, when I was married and we lived, you know, together or we were not married anymore, but living together. So essentially we were common law married. Um, I didn't have, uh, the awareness that you do about, I didn't even know what complex PTSD was, but I do remember those things of everything he is doing is bothering me in some way or another. And And it doesn't feel like there's any rhyme or reason to it when you're not aware and it, it, it's maddening. Right. Well, and there's no way for him to know either. Yeah. No. Uh-uh. No. Because that's he's... why we made the podcast for people who exactly. are in that situation. Yep. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. So what's the reaction been to your show? Um, I think it's been pretty good. I mean, we've had people, uh, I mean, my life has forever changed because several people have like, that I don't know have messaged me and been like, you changed my life. I just did um, like six hours of your podcast. And you know, it's been, you know, like that's the best feeling in the world. So. You're really just, it's funny because we, the, the little engagement that we do get from listeners, mm-hmm. it's like pulling teeth getting these people yeah, to reach well, out. But you know, you're, you're, yes, your is. target market is people who have trauma. I know. Trauma people don't reach out. Yep. A lot of people don't reach out. A lot of people don't want to talk about it or, you know, I have a lot of friends who just, they say they're not out. Oh, right. Know? Yeah. A lot of people aren't out of the CPTSD closet, you yep. know, and they're not willing to. Because then that, that means that you're going to be outing your abuser at the same time and they're not ready to do it there's a lot of reasons why it's hard so I totally understand that um but there have been really wonderful people who've reached out and and it's been nice people like you know ask us questions ask us for advice and I I love that I love being able to just give people answers to their questions based on what I've learned you know because I I value that from other people I haven't gotten anything negative no, I mean, I don't know if we do. You do a pretty good job of screening things. I don't think so. Oh, yeah, that's and the, the trip that is, to navigate. That is so funny that you just said that because I I do have uh, Michael, my my ex and, and my best friend. He is the screener yeah. uh, for me. And um, he doesn't have to do it with everything, but some things, if an email comes in and I don't have an, and I don't read it because I know that the potential mm-hmm. is going to be, you know, something that's going to put me off kilter for a bit. And I've mm-hmm. got 12 more shows to record, or I just am working through some stuff and I can't add that to what I'm trying to do. Those go right to him. And he, uh, he, either doesn't tell me because he's like, it's just nothing that you needed to know, hon. or he knows how to word it in a way that is non-triggering, but we've got 32 years of this practice, but um, 
and I have had some people that have worked with me who I, for whatever reason, like got off on gossip and Mm -hmm. whatever, and love to come tell me blah, 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 blah. And I might, my heart, my blood pressure's going through the roof, the longer they tell me what's going on. And I'm like, do you understand that I, you know, you, you actually work for me and (laughs) you're making my, you're making it harder for me to like do what I need to do to continue to make this thing be successful because you keep bringing me this freaking drama. So I had to, I had to really, um, switch things around and put things in different places so that, uh, not that I live in a bubble. Good Lord. I mean, isn't that the interesting thing? I, I put that to you, Miss Complex- Complexities. The interesting thing is you're such a warrior and you're so strong, even though I don't really like using that word because it can be used shamefully or like, you're not enough. You're not no, strong not enough. Yeah. yeah. And it, and it's, so to me, it's like, you're already so strong in what you got through and that you're still here. Mm-hmm. And yet there are some things that you absolutely have the right to say, I don't want to deal with that. That's not yeah. going to be helpful to me. I need a translator so that I can process it in a healthy way and that there's no weakness in that. No, that's a strength. Yeah, I think it's yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes. a strength and I think it's an awareness. I had to, um, it, and it's also a balance for me. I had to come into the fact that it is okay that things still trigger me. It is okay that things still upset me. And I spent most of my life striving and refusing to admit that I had emotions. So mm-hmm. admitting to Pat or to myself that like, hey, these types of emails where I I can't get on like social media forums. I can't read, like there is a complex PTSD Reddit. Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't even be involved in that because it's just so heavy. Um, Mm. I'm a sensitive person. I have, uh, there's a big debate, a big debate amongst me and my five friends about um, (laughs) are all people with CPTSD empaths or are empaths Mm -hmm. drawn to becoming, you know, trauma victims you know, mm. the, the chicken situation, but right. I have a tendency to take on a lot of shit. And so I yeah. do, I have to find that balance. And, and it really did come with me setting boundaries and, um, and it has been empowering for me to say like, it's okay that I can't take on some things. And it's been empowering for me to put those boundaries up. Like, no, I'm just not going to read the Reddit forum. You know, if I engaged on the Reddit forum, maybe it would help the podcast get out there more, but I don't need to take on all of that drama and shit. And mm-hmm. it's not going to be that worth it for me. Like, and it, it's another way at the end of the day that I'm choosing myself, which is yes. something I never used to do. So oh, absolutely. You're like, we have to meet, you have to come out. <laughs> Listeners, I just, I'm throwing this out there with, um, with our esteemed guest because I haven't brought this up yet, but we're, if anyone wants to go to www.mentalhealthroundtable.com, I wouldn't say it's the most finished, uh, piece yet. We're still working on it, but we're actually doing a film. A nonprofit wants to film um, us and they want to film some of our podcasters and, uh, 
you guys, you know, I hope that you guys are going to come and be a part of that. And I don't know why I just went off because something went in my head and then went poof as I was talking out my other ear. What are you I'm telling us about the website? The yeah, about and I'm leaving this in because listeners like will now laugh and email me and go, there she goes again, ADHD. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, what the heck? Oh, that I want you guys to be there because we have to meet because I totally understand like everything you're saying. I, I purposely live in the country where it's quiet, where I, I live in my own home. The only other being in this home that brings emotion in is my dog. And that's after, and I'm not kidding, a lifetime of not living ever in a home that was emotionally safe and in other ways, not safe either. Mm -hmm. So it's amazing to me as someone who is an empath, it's amazing to me how awesome it is to live in a safe home and to realize no, I'm not running away from life. No, I'm not some hermit, blah, 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 blah. Even though there's nothing wrong with those things. It's not about that. It's that I finally figured out how I need to live that best supports my shit that is good and my shit that ain't so good. Does that make sense? I totally get it. Yeah. It's like you have this, um, you get to a point where you know yourself enough and you, you've healed enough and you've said enough, you know, balance and boundaries and you're just kind of like okay this is where I am now this is what makes me feel good this is what makes me feel safe and mm-hmm. you're resonating in that like yes this is what I need and you can just be mm-hmm. and, you know hopefully I don't you know, I'm telling you to heal more but it, you're <laughs> in a place where you are safe and open enough to heal or to be healed and to accept that healing and <laughs> My ex loves to tease me. He's like, I just think it's so funny that you would be obsessed with tiny homes. Cause I'm like, I'm literally I'm obsessed obsessed. With tiny homes. Like I think it's everything. I think it is. It's like having this nice small space, you know, oh, oh, I feel you. I'm exactly It's there. a cocoon. Yeah. Yes. It so. And it's like, it's just small and it's safe mm-hmm. and it, it yep. doesn't have all that room to catch all of the negative shit and you don't have yes. to sit all the time. And like, yes, it's just. It's purposeful. And I don't, did I tell you guys that I live in one? That's amazing. I'm so jealous. Yeah. I, I, I actually purposely picked this place because I'm obsessed with tiny homes. I think they're wonderful and it's a real one. It's a real, you know, like you see on YouTube or whatever. And I mean, it's a little bit bigger. It's 550 square feet, you know, and I came from a way a lot more. square footage, but also a very unhealthy environment to this. And, um, it's just like, I don't know. It's just, I realized something and I want to, I want you to maybe, you know, embellish about this or whatever. I realized in pulling myself away from toxic stuff, which my God, is that lifetime process. (laughs) And it still comes up. I still have people in my life that are toxic and I've been blind 
or their behavior is toxic and I've been blind to it. And then the fog clears for whatever reason, I guess, because I can deal with it now. And I go, oh, okay, let's see how that's going to work out. And it's never an apocalypse anymore. Believe me, the endings of things with people used to be apocalyptic. But the nice thing about this, this tiny home thing is like, I'm actually an emotionally safe person to myself and for others. And I, so much was projected onto me telling me that I'm not, uh, by people who were projecting their behavior, that it's been so validating to live in this space and be like, Oh my God, when I live alone, I don't have a bunch of freaking drama. And that's a reflection of who I really am. How amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful because then you get to actually just be in a relationship with yourself and see mm-hmm. see who you are for who you really are without the the lens that everybody else puts on you. Exactly. Other than my dog and the lens she puts on me is like, you know, dogs are little yeah. receivers. So the lens she puts on me is like, oh, I love you. <laughs> yeah, their, their lens are usually the best. <laughs> yep. So how however, you know, whatever depth you want to go to, or, or if you want people to just get it on your shows, can you explain a little bit about the kind of relationship relationships or relationship you were in that brought on the complex PTSD or the scenario or what happened? Sure. Um, where to start? Yeah. So, <laughs> I know that's what I would say too. Where do we start? Let's go back to the, when I was born. But anyway. Born, yeah. So before I was born, my dad was cheating on my mom and I found out she was like starving while she was pregnant with me. So it even goes oh. before that. He, my dad is a sociopathic narcissist. Oh, so yippee. He's a really great person to be around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, so my parents got divorced six months after I was born and in lots of therapy we've regressed to the point where um, I didn't really, I found out that I never really formed any kind of attachment to my parents uh, because my dad, because he wasn't there, he's not emotionally available because he's a narcissist. And my mom, because she had to go back to work and because her life was falling apart and she just had a baby, she couldn't be you know, emotionally there either. So I never formed attachment to anyone. Um, and then when I was, I was also very sick as a toddler and that ended up being very traumatic because my family was just not sure what to do. And Mm. in regression therapy, I found my earliest memory of what's felt like at the time torture by my family. I was sick and they were holding me in ice buckets, you know, torture and and betrayal. And I just didn't trust them. And like, I went back to this moment when I just lost trust in everyone around me because they were hurting me, you know? Yes. And my family isn't, they don't. And, and at crucial developmental you. ages. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, I was like two or three at the time. Uh, they, they never explained to me what was happening. You know, they never tried to comfort me that I was so sick. They were just, um, yeah. So I never formed attachment and I never, I lost trust in my family very early mm. on. Um, and then when I was about four, my mom contracted, um, well, what's the, my mom got sick and, um, so again, there was still no connection in my childhood. I was an only child and uh, I spent most of my childhood alone in my room. 
And those are pretty much all the memories I have. No one really explained life to me. Nobody talked to me. Nobody did anything with me. I was very alone. Um, and then my mom died when I was 10 and I went to go live with the narcissist and a whole new kind of abuse happened. He was very neglectful. He would go to work and then he would spend like three or four hours a night on his computer, just unavailable to be there with me. Um, there was no conversations about my mother's death. There was no healing. Uh. That. There was just, um, you know, all of his problems were taken out on me. Um, yeah. Just very classic narcissist stuff, a lot of gaslighting, a lot of uh, making me believe that I was not worthy, that I was a horrible mm -hmm. person. So I spent from 11 to 17 uh, being his punching bag. And uh, not physically, me... but psychologically. Oh, yeah. Psychologically, emotionally, the, the things that don't leave scars people can see. Exactly. Yeah, totally... there, there are quite a few stories you could probably hear on episodes of, of our show. Yeah. But... Um, so yeah, I so, when so, I was 17 and, uh, and it never really got better with my family. More betrayals mm -hmm. came out. When I was 19, I was told that my mother uh, died from a completely different disease than they told me because they were too um, ashamed to tell people that she had AIDS. So for 10 years, they told everyone that she had cancer. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, then then, it, and then it finally came out. That... And then it finally came <laughs> out that they had been lying to me the whole time. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, they told me, they told me things like, oh, you just don't remember. We haven't been lying to you. So those are the types of people that my family are. Um, when I was eight, 28, I went home. This was like two and a half years ago. I went home and they gushed more lies and more betrayals. My whole life has literally been a lie. They've nothing that anybody, the very minuscule amount of things that my family has told me about me and my family They've all been lies. I, uh, I so understand you. You're like my soul sister. Okay. <laughs> Man, my, ex my experience too. Oh my God. Yeah. So you, if you just question yourself, you know, I've been left with nobody taught me how to love myself or anyone else. Nobody taught me mm -hmm. how to cope with emotions or right. um, with reality. No one, one taught even me. taught you how to identify emotions. Nobody taught me how to, yeah. So I, yeah, right. it's, it's a mess. And um, yeah, so I went in, I've been in therapy, like really intense therapy. I've been, uh, I went into the eating disorder clinic when I was 25 and 28. And I've spent a total of about six 18 months. weeks in institutionalized. <laughs> and, right. uh, and then after that, you Inpatient. know, in between yeah. the, those things, I've been in, uh, you know, one-on-one -on -one therapy and just my own seeking of things as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Okay. There's so many things in there that I'm like, Oh, I have to ask her about that. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So how old were you when you discovered what the word narcissism um, and you know, I don't mean like that you read it in a book and went, oh, that's an interesting word. I mean, when you like knew what the heck it was and went, holy shit, this is what I've been dealing with. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so when I was 25, I went, like I said, I went into inpatient at an eating disorder clinic because I was dying. And um, they, they didn't, it was very nonchalant you know they were just like well you have PTSD and you were abused and neglected and um 
let's, let's heal this. You know, you're going to have a long journey of healing. Like that was the first time that anybody told me that I had been abused or neglected or that I had PTSD. And before that, I had never realized that I had been traumatized or that I had been uh, the victim of abuse. You were told you were bipolar. Yeah, I've been diagnosed. Of course, it was all projected onto you that you're the one with the problem. Mm -hmm. And um, (laughs) and the first time I heard the word narcissist actually was when my main therapist at the eating disorder clinic, his name is Bob. So my dad, the narcissist, called, he, I didn't have a relationship with him at this point. He found out where I was somehow, that I was in a hospital. For the record, I didn't say anything. Yeah, I don't even know how to tell me. It wasn't me. It's very classic him. He's just crazy. So he found out where I was, 1,700 miles away from him, and he started calling the hospital that I was at, leaving messages. And my social worker at the time was like, look, I'm not going to play these messages for you, but he's saying that, you know, there are two sides to every story and everything that she's saying is her opinion basically defending himself like he had the foresight audacity insanity whatever you want to call it to chase me down and find the doctors that I was seeking treatment from to explain to them that what I was saying was only half the story and that he wanted them to hear his half the story and my therapist was like oh my god he's fucking nuts his I think his official diagnosis was he's a fucking narcissistic sociopath yes completely understand but he was like this is good because it gives me so much more insight into why you're the way you are he's fucking crazy like he was like I've never had someone you know like he's like I deal with parents all the time but I've never had someone estranged track someone down from across the country so that they could tell their side of the story. Like, it's it, that's insane, you know? And my therapist was like, we had to tell him that, you know, he's not allowed to call here. And we had to, like, threaten, like, you know, if you call again, we're going to call the police. Because it was harassment, you know? So it was, it was nuts. And that was the first time that I was diagnosed uh, as the victim of abuse. That was the first time I was talked to about trauma. And that was the first time that I heard the word narcissist. Okay. Okay. And say it it one more time because I know, listen, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you because it's a freaking winding road to get there. I didn't know what the hell it was. I had heard it, of course, because you hear it, but I I hadn't, I didn't like go, oh my God, until I was 44. And it was, uh, it was, I was, um, sorry, listeners. I know you've, you've heard this story. So just fast forward. Cause, but they haven't, um, I was, you know, out of a relationship with, with one of them not like I hadn't always had relationships with them over and over and over again. This just happened to be the one that, uh, not because he's special. It was more about where I was in life, where I just was like, I have to find out what this is. So I was in Italy. He was in my head toxically the whole time I was in Italy, which was horrible. And um, I ran across Andrea Schneider, who is a counselor. Um, She writes prolifically about narcissism and narcissistic personality disorder. So in, and she lives in California. So here I am in, in Italy 
and I find her writing in California. And then she becomes like one of my best, best, bestie friends. And she does the Savvy Shrink podcast on our network. (laughs) Sweet. But I read what she wrote and this is what happened. I read one article and I went, oh my God. This is what happened. And you're like, holy shit, this is my life. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I totally know that feeling. (laughs) And then you have to read more and more and more. Okay. So the other thing I wanted to ask you is this, because I totally relate to this and I want to see what you think of it. Even though this show is about you, and I'm sorry, I've totally hijacked it, but we we none we are new to oh, each other, so know each other. This is great. Yeah, this is cool. So I promise, listeners, they'll be on again, and I will shut up more. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I found that so it's so many people who go through severe trauma, like mm-hmm. also can, you know. Yes, yes. So here's the thing I want to ask you about because. I was told by my therapist and I just like unloaded some good nuggets on her today. She's like, we got some good work to do, Kristen. <laughs> awesome. And then I came home and immediately started feeling guilty and all this craziness I go through uh, just as I'm needing to make yet another personal upheaval change in thing behavior that I do that is enabling enmeshment with people, uh, not setting good boundaries, <laughs> you know, all these things because I... I The way I was raised. Yes, I know you do because of the way I was raised. It was like, what is about, there are no boundaries. So anyway, I was told that I, um, of course have an attachment disorder and, um, and I've been, you know, I've been told this before and, um, mine is this, uh, it's really easy for me to just dip out of a relationship of any kind, a friendship, um, what it's like super easy for me to detach and go away. Now I've had issues with being too attached for sure. Like I went through a stage where I was like too attached to people. Uh, cause that's how my mother is, is that my mother's the narcissist. Well, both my parents, but, uh, my mother does the two attachment clinging and I've been through those phases, but only when I was around her, my normal resting place is a place of me being able to just dip on out. Yeah. And I, I'm the same way. I can do that as well. And yeah, but you also like to try to get the other person to, to do the dipping. <laughs> I've done that too. <laughs> she, she, she basically sabotages. Yeah. She's really good at sabotaging. I So this is, you know, an innate fear that I personally have and people I know who've been raised by sociopaths. Um, you know, I have sociopathic tendencies and I don't know if it's innate or if it's uh, involved from conditioning, but I can choose actively to be done with a friendship or relationship or anything. And I can cut it out of my heart and it never fucking comes back. And it's, I can do it like that. And it's terrifying, but at the yes. same time, it's a defense mechanism Yes. and it, it saved my life. Um, and it's also helped me get away from those toxic people. I don't have a relationship with anyone in my family, really. Yeah. Uh, I, I talk to like three people in my family. Yeah, but they're not even like. They're very distant. Yeah. You didn't uh, grow but, up around them. But all the, the people, time. all the people, you know, cousins, grandparents, my dad, uh, aunts, uncles, everybody who's actively either stood by or uh, been toxic to me and, and abusive, I don't talk to those people. 
So, um, yeah, and I, I don't feel bad. I can just, one decision made. It was harder. It, it was very easy to cut my dad out and be like, no, I'm done. Um, with my fa- like my entire family a few years later, that was a little harder because they were always preaching um, family first, what is this, the biggest thing, you know, da 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 da, da bullshit. And yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah. you're not family. You know, well, so that, it was point. much easier to be like, okay, this isn't what love is. This isn't what family is. But yeah, no, I have that too. And I can't decide if it's a healthy boundary, if it's yes. a, a evolved sociopathic tendency. No, stop. It are is you, um, you know what you are on the Meyer Briggs? I'm an INFJ, and I know that is a very INFJ tendency. Yes, my okay. So here, yes, um, my my. It's so funny. I am surrounded by INFJs. INFJs are the are the aren't they the rarest? I'm an ENFJ. Yeah, one of the rarest. Okay. So the, the rarest is INFJ. My son's an INFJ. Melanie uh, on the net, you know, my program director's an INFJ. Uh, I have, I have tons of INFJs around me and I need that because I am an ENFP. Okay. So I'm the cheerleader. I'm the eternal optimist. I'm the let's, it'll work. Create a network about mental health when it wasn't popular. Put your whole life savings into it. Mm-hmm jump off a cliff without a parachute and just go. That's me. Right. And I need lots lots of INFJs around that are like, Kristen, um, let's be a little bit more careful. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I do for Patty face. Yes. She grounds me. I'm an ENFJ. Okay, so ENF. Okay, ENF. Gotcha. I'm the introverted of the the. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm the barely on the extroverted. I used to be the INFP, but as I got older and you know did speaking gigs and whatever, I became a little dipped over on the E. So I kind of see myself as an ambivert because I need lots of alone time, but boy, can I turn it on and yeah. get and get yeah. juice from being around people? So I can I can kind of do either, but uh. But the um, perceiving part is different than the judging part. And the perceiving part for me is helpful, but it also um, cannot be great in that I don't use enough judgment. Yeah. Well, so. I'm very judgmental. Pat will attest to that. Yes. I have an interesting follow-up question to your question. Okay, sure. So I, I know this about myself, and this is a thing about INFJs, and I think also trauma survivors. Um, yes, we are very good at uh, cutting the attachment quick and swift and permanently. Yeah. But I can also very quickly and deeply open up to people and yeah. all of myself. You know, I can, you know, less so with trauma after that, but but I know that I have the ability to be an unbelievably compassionate and caring, giving person, like to the point where it's not healthy. I can attest to that. And, and <laughs> I, I think that those go hand in hand. And for me, at least, mm. um, you know, finding out in the last couple of years that I was an INFJ and, and it made so much sense that I could do both. That helps me realize that there is some balance in it. Like mm. I don't subscribe to labels. I probably have all kinds of codependency, attachment, borderline personality things. Um, I have complex PTSD and I put all of it under that one umbrella 
And I, I Good. most of it all back to trauma. Yeah, so, of course. So for me, it, like there is that big open-hearted compassionateness. And then there's that very cold-hearted, like once you're out, you're out. But yeah. in my head, I have to, <laughs> I have to be like, okay, there's a balance because I can do both. Do you find that you can do both of those things? Yes, I, I absolutely, uh, I absolutely do. And I know, uh, when I was young, you know, younger and just didn't know the stuff I know now, I was literally just, I was an total empath walking around as an open channel 24 mm-hmm. seven, yeah. which is <laughs> healthy. Hard. That is, that is like, I mean, a friend of mine, I just said today, um, I said, uh, she's got, Uh, she was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, which is fantastic that like in um, England, they're actually doing a lot of work about getting rid of that, that uh, as a diagnosis, because they realize and know that it is all about complex trauma. So we don't need to, it's such a stigmatized diagnosis, but anyway, she, um, I said, yeah, well, I can see why you were diagnosed with that because you're the big giant empath. And so anybody that even came near you, you just were absorbing all their stuff and thinking that you're insane. So I've, I was, um, I've never been diagnosed with that, but I feel like I could have been at some point, but, um, I, uh, I've, I did do that. I, I was the person everybody told their souls to, and I could go to all these deep, conversations. I mean, I was talking about sexual abuse as a teenager in front of people. So I can do all that stuff. However, here's what's um, different. I don't, I am really energetically boundaried um, a lot better than I ever have been, which is nice. Uh, I'm not walking around like an open channel. And of course I live alone. So that makes it easier for me to do it, you know? Um, and the attachment stuff, it concerns me that I can just done. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, the, is, is it a fear of like, Oh, that seems so sociopathic or what is no, it? no, no, I don't go. No, I absolutely know that I have zero sociopathic tendencies, um, or, you know, anything like that. I mean, I have narcissism like everybody does, but it's not a personality disordered level or even high spectrum. Um, what concerns me about it is that I can, uh, I don't know if it's something that I will ever not have, because I had so many exits in my life from like my father, from my family, from whatever. Some of that was manipulated by my mother who is extremely narcissistic. She exited the whole family and there's just been a lot, a lot, a lot of exits at such a young age that I learned um, just not to attach. Yeah, I totally understand. So the only way that it worries me is in, you know, how that, um, might affect, you know, relationships where I don't, sometimes I don't want to make it so easy for me to be like, I'm dipping out because 
there's something to look at or there's, that's why I stay going to therapy. I don't know. There's something about, obviously it works for me and it doesn't bother me, but it's just because I've, I'm used to it from such a little kid. I don't know how it might be negatively impacting my life. And that unknowingness mm-hmm. makes me nervous. I, I hate the unknown. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let her leave. Yeah. Well, <laughs> to me, like this is just personal experience and, um, for me, when it comes to attachment, I found that my issues with it are due to abandonment. You know, I've had a mm-hmm. lot of people abandon me. And so I have this, I refused to allow anyone to ever do that again. So yeah. if I ever sensed that any kind of abandonment was going to come up, you know, I would bail or people started being really toxic and I had to get out, you know? Right. Um, so I think for me realizing that a lot of my issues around codependency or the the opposite of codependency were due to that deep-rooted abandonment fear and Mm -hmm. then I was able to work on that abandonment fear in therapy and you know I don't know how spiritual you are as a person but for me very I um I believe that we come in I believe that I personally have come into this life to work on something you know my biggest yep thing that and and for me that is abandonment you know that's why I was abandoned emotionally psychologically and even physically such as a child mm-hmm. and and then I did it to myself in my teenage years to get away from my dad and then I perpetuated that in relationships over and over and yeah Pat is the only person who's been able to keep me from not abandoning them <laughs> um, and and that was by force it was by force she did yeah but that's exactly right what I needed from him and oh god I get that exactly what I needed for myself I needed to prove to myself that I was never going to abandon myself again and and that has really helped um with my attachment and codependency issues realizing that uh, abandonment root cause that's amazing that's what I that's what I wanted to glean from that that a nugget of wisdom like that um Yes, the more that you work on not abandoning yourself, that's at the core. So yeah, it isn't about other people. I just had, I'm having an aha moment here. It isn't about the abandonment of other people that I have been able to just be like, boom. Um, I can just be like, boom, because I constantly have abandoned myself. And the more that I... And yourself is like, no, I can't do this again. And Yep. Yeah, rebuilding the trust in myself and 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 it's a journey. It is a journey. It's something that I've never done because I've never really nobody ever showed me that I needed to be there for myself. And finally coming into that, doing like reparenting or reconnection with yes. myself has just been the best part of my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's yeah, it's it's wonderful. That's what I'm doing right now. I've been here not even a year um, in this little place, and I, that's my whole time here has been about um, reparenting myself, rewriting things, uh, revisiting every story I've ever been told and manipulated to believe, and going, I don't. I'm going to write my own story about what my past is. Yes. I'm so glad that you've um, gotten to a point in your life where you can do that. It's, there's just so many people out there walking who. Yep. That don't even know that they can. Don't even know they can. Don't even know that they are called like that their, their heart is, is calling for that, you know? And, yep. And that's why I want to, that's why I'm a mental health advocate. That's why I want to raise awareness about this because mm. people just 
they just don't know that they could be happier or healthier or more connected with themselves or all of the above. Absolutely. Mm. Well, you will definitely be on more shows. Um, <laughs> for now, tell our listeners um, where they can find your, you know, your website and your show and all those things. So um, we're on SoundCloud. And we're on all of the like normal places you would go, iTunes, to listen to podcasts. You can find us there um, on the mental health website, you guys' website. We have yeah, and, and, yeah, anybody can go to mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com or mhnrnetwork.com, click on shows, which is right at the top of the menu, and go to compl- go to complexities, and that's right to their podcast, and you can, you know, subscribe to iTunes and all that stuff from there, but you guys also have your own website, don't you? Um, so we have, I have, I personally have a website, um, austinhhoward.com, and it has a lot of, um, I do video blogs, blogs, it's something I started doing in between season one and season two, mm-hmm. Um, and I put those on my website. We have a YouTube channel, which is Complexities Podcast. We have a Facebook Complexities Podcast. We have an Instagram Complexities Podcast. And we have nice. um, an email complexities.podcast at gmail.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you both. I'm so glad that you found our network and you wanted to be a part of it. And, um, you know, this is all exciting and listeners, please tune into their show. It, I can't tell you how much it helps when you're going, you know, we have a lot of trauma survivors that listen and, uh, I know you're out there tune into this show and, you know, hear someone walking through it, the ups, the downs, the dips, the, um, yeah, all of it. I, it's, all very of it. Raw. it's very, um, you know, I put it all out there because I want for me seeing and hearing other people's stories is what helps me heal and it helps me find those next steps that I need to take in my life. And so I put all of it out there in hopes that it does the same for someone else. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. As that's very happy to be here too, but he had to step out to go pick up the kids. So he says thank you. And, um, (laughs) yeah, he talks a lot more in our episodes. (laughs) That's That's it's okay. That's that where they can go there to listen to him talk there. So listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of Mental Health News Radio. And thank you so much for having us. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com, We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Sometimes I'm passive-aggressive, but never 
Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you, Good boy.